Hi, my name is Dr. Christopher Benetti. This is my new podcast, Reviving Liberalism, Episode 1, Introduction, Reviving Liberalism. I have two purposes for this um, whole series. One is to define and understand and promote the idea of liberalism in terms of education, something you're probably not getting um, at the university level. Um, where liberalism is basically being replaced by progressivism, and liberalism and progressivism simply are not the same thing. So there's an educational purpose, but also to try to create a political movement to sort of revive left liberalism, where you have a real alternative in the American left um, to progressivism. I think progressivism is a terrible thing. I think left liberalism is much better, and I I wish to have a political movement that, that revives it. That said, if you don't at all agree with that, and obviously we're trying to convince you to agree with that, you still might want to stick around because of the educational value here, because I am going to get into political theory and all sorts of cool stuff and explain all the different kinds of liberalism over a couple of different episodes. I'm going to keep this episode relatively short, um, around uh, 15 to 20 minutes, probably not all the way through the half an hour, unlike maybe some later episodes. Let's just talk about the three fundamental forces of liberalism. <laughs> Sorry, three fundamental forces of politics. I have liberalism on the brain. There are three fundamental forces of politics. And to understand them, let's talk about the polis. The polis is sort of that ancient Greek city-state. And the ancient Greek city-state was sort of an independent city-state. It was based on the city. And so po- from polis comes the term politics. Okay. And to understand politics, which basically is what government does and how it does it, we really want to understand the polis a little bit and and how the polis kind of works uh, in of itself. Now, of course, we do a lot of things differently from that, but we ultimately have a concept called a polity, and a polity is just sort of any kind of political uh, community with a government, like a town, a city, a, a county, a state, a country, et cetera. So polity kind of comes from polis, but let's just start talking about the polis itself, uh, theoretically. Aristotle um, in the politics talks about this. Thucydides talks about this. Plato, I think, talks about this. Uh, The Roman Cicero does this as well. I'm thinking more in the Aristotelian sense, although Thucydides comes into my mind a little bit as well. Um, If you are interested in political theory at all or political science at all, or American politics at all. You need to read Aristotle's The Politics. Like, you need to do it. You need to do it right now. Um, I don't just say that as an Aristotelian, which I am, but I think it's I think it's important um, that you, you do so. Now, let's talk a little bit about this polis. It's not just theoretical. Ancient Greek cities had this kind of thing. Most people were in the masses, and the masses were... Um, you know, a large number of poor, marginalized people. So you have the masses of poor, marginalized people, and you have a few, relatively few, wealthy, uh, powerful, privileged elites. And in a city that's really dysfunctional, that's all you had, but in a better city, you would have a bunch of people in the middle, uh, called the middle class or... I think Aristotle refers to the middle class actually as the middle class is uh, uh, a, a plural plural version of it. What's very important 
is his view that without the middle class, you cannot have political stability. I think that's true. Look around you in the United States, the collapse of the middle class, and tell me that you don't think it's true. I think you know it's true, too. Now, each of these classes has a political force, but the political forces of the two main classes are even more fundamental than the one of the middle class. So the poor and marginalized have a force, and that force is about taking from the rich and the wealthy, giving it to the poor, but ultimately inverting power so the poor become rich, the rich become poor, etc. Okay? I am largely taking from Aristotle, but I, I'm, I'm probably using a little bit of creative license there, too. This, this force is progressivism, which is admittedly my name for it. This is progressivism. Progressivism is the force which the poor and marginalized, usually led by people who are not poor and marginalized, tries to seek power and wealth and privilege from the wealthy and invert everything. However... The people who are trying to hold on desperately for power and wealth and privilege serve another force. That's conservatism. So you have progressivism and conservatism. Conservatism is just like progressivism. Instead of trying to seize and expropriate wealth and power and all that stuff, you're desperately trying to hold on to it, including by oppressive means. So conservatives like to oppress and progressives like to riot, revolt, seize power, etc. And they use all sorts of reasons to try to defend their positions, but ultimately there is no moral force behind either. It's just raw power grabbing. There's no moral force to it. The, the progressives just seek to gain control of everything. The conservatives seek to keep control of everything. It's all about absolute power. They're not willing to share or compromise or anything like that. Okay? This is generally a reading, a good reading, I think, of how class conflict works in the Greek theory as opposed to Marxism. It's a lot more personal than in Marxism, by the way. I think the Greek theory class, conf class conflict is much more personal than in Marxism. Um, and I do think that I am, well, I, I, I'm exaggerating a little bit. I'm not really exaggerating the way the Greek political theorists thought of it. They thought that without something else, this is what always is going to kind of happen. And that it's bad because neither side should really win. If you want a society that's more equal, because I don't think full equality is ever going to exactly happen. You can have full equality in civil rights, but I don't think in terms of socioeconomic power you can. You want something closer to equality, you're not going to be able to appeal to progressivism or conservatism because they're about power, wealth, and privilege and basically acquiring these things, and that's it. If you want something else, you have to appeal to the third political force. There's a third fundamental political force, and that force is liberalism. Liberalism in general does not just mean what we generally call liberalism, left liberalism. Liberalism in general um, is, this, is, is something else. Aristotle says it comes from the middle class or the middle classes. I think there's some truth to that. But liberalism is also about self-denial. And by self-denial, I mean you want something substantively done, like free colleges, but you're not willing to, say, violate the Constitution to get free colleges. It's ultimately putting procedure 
and the Constitution above your substantive demands. And that's why so few people seem to like it. (laughs) It's about self-denial. It also involves self-denial in the sense that normative, your normative views of what the law should be, legislative normativity, legislative normativity just means what the law should be, right, rather than what they are, what they should be, is different from morality. Let me give you an example of self-denial liberalism in this example of legislative normativity and morality. You have a guy, okay, he's unmarried. Um, he has a hundred different sexual partners. Um, they are all aware of what he's doing. He is very safe about it. He is not abusive. He's, they all know what's going on. That's it, right? It's, it's what's called fornication. Is that moral? No, I think that's deeply, deeply immoral. I think fornication is horrible. Do I think the government should tell people what to do about fornication? No, of course not. That is an important part of liberalism that there is, and I think it can get really crazy sometimes. I don't think it has to be like too much like this, but there's always going to be some differential between um, legislative normativity and morality. doesn't mean you can't have moral legislation, and even liberals do have moral legislation, but there is usually a differential, significant differential between uh, uh, legislative normativity and, the, um, and morality. What the law should be and, and, and what right and wrong is. That's all about self-denial. So self-denial is also about when you want something substantively, but you obey the procedures. Obama didn't do that. When Obama wanted something for illegal immigrants, um, he actually violated the Constitution through his executive orders because he, he wanted to win and he didn't care what the Constitution said. And that, of course, has led to Trump's executive orders in the other direction. Progressivism and conservatism ultimately are just on a head-on collision with each other. And I think that's what you see now with riots and all this other horrible stuff. And the alternative to that is liberalism. Now, not all liberals are actually left liberals, um, even though liberalism historically in the United States has met um, left liberalism. Liberals can be more right-wing or centrist, and I'll talk about that in some later episodes. But it's important to understand that liberalism is ultimately about self-denial, about saying that often procedure is more important than substance, and obeying the rule of law and, and the Constitution. So I've got about five minutes left. I want to talk a little bit about left liberalism. In the next episode, I'll talk about liberal democracy and some other kinds of forms of liberalism. But now that I've talked about liberalism in general and what it's competing against in terms of the other two uh, fundamental political forces. I do want to talk about what left liberalism is. It's a form of liberalism. It's not the only form. It's the, the most famous classical American version of liberalism. And what it's really about, um, to me, um, is merging things like checks and balances, um, controlling people in power, strong political institutions, the rule of law, with trying to help the marginalized. So not every liberal thinks that siding with the marginalized is really important. Those that do are sort of the, the 
sort of, I don't want to say classical liberal, because classical liberalism is a different thing. I'll talk about that in a later episode. But the sort of classical American liberalism, or traditional American liberalism, is more left liberalism. It is attaching support for the marginalized to liberalism in a way that does not compromise liberalism. If support for the marginalized makes you illiberal, makes you compromise liberalism, and we'll talk about what that means starting in the next episode, then you're a progressive. You're not a liberal. If it does not compromise your liberalism, then you're a left liberal. Okay? Basically, if you're a liberal and you're a leftist, you're a left liberal. You're going to hate that. You're going to hate that definition. So let me explain it better. A person who is committed to checks and balances in the rule of law and self-denial and the belief that ultimately procedure and obeying the Constitution is more important than substance, but really does want policy that benefits the marginalized in a sustainable and stable way, that's a left liberal. I just gave you what a left liberal is. And left liberalism used to be taught in schools, you know, universities. It used to be the predominant ideology of the left. It's been replaced in the universities everywhere with progressivism. And this whole podcast is about reviving liberalism, particularly left liberalism, but I am going to be talking about other forms of liberalism. I think they deserve to be talked about. And I think questioning why left liberals are not allowed to even talk about their beliefs. We're not really allowed to talk about our beliefs. And I think it's a real problem at the university level, not that progressives kick out conservatives, which happens and is not a good thing, but progressives really dislike left liberal professors because left liberal professors remind people that liberalism does not mean progressivism. Progressivism is actually taking the good name of liberalism and putting it in the dirt, and that's wrong. It shouldn't be putting it in the dirt. So there are two main important focuses on this podcast series going forward. It's to educate people about what liberalism is and to give you some understanding of political theory and political science, because that's what I do, and I like educating people, but also to try to get a political movement towards reviving liberalism. And that's very much what I'm going to be trying to do. Um, in the next episode, we'll be talking about something called liberal democracy and how that uh, both has something to do with liberalism in general and also left liberalism. Um, and I'll probably in episode two, talk a little bit about some other forms of liberalism. Episode three, I'll probably talk, be talking about international liberalism. All right. Um, so this episode has been introduction, reviving liberalism. Um, and this podcast is reviving liberalism. I am Dr. Christopher Benetti and have a wonderful, wonderful day.